0: and give your entire go-to-market team the data they need to operate as one unified, powerful front. Also, you can easily support, strengthen, and grow your customer base. Secrets out. HubSpot Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Happy holidays, everyone. It's Wednesday, December 27th. I'm John Waigale here with Ben Berkeley, Juliette Bennett-Ryla, Mark Dent, and Rob Litterst, and this is The Hustle Daily Show. This week, we're taking a break from the news and rounding up the wild year that 2023 has been. Today, we're diving into a bunch of stories that will make you go, wait, that happened this year? In our most under-the-radar stories from 2023. So let's get into it. Here we are, everybody, all together. That's great. Here we are. Look at us. Let's go. (laughs) Today's topic is under-the-radar stories from 2023. Things that maybe not a lot of people might remember, but are also kind of important to remember. So
1: I hate picking people, but Ben, do you want to just kick us off with this? Yeah, you said important. So clearly we're going to go to mine, which I'm going to start by saying (laughs) is very, very far from the most important story in the world. But it is this little story from March that has stuck with me kind of above all others this year. I swear, if you stick with me, it gets important it's about pasta shapes. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I swear it gets important. Please tell me how this is going to affect the Italian economy. Yeah. Tortellini wins. That's all there is to it. Oh, I mean, let me tell you, tortellini, not actually pasta, if you are to believe (laughs) the FDA. And that is where the story (laughs) is. Macaroni, spaghetti, vermicelli, To this day, those are the only official FDA-recognized pasta shapes for the U.S., which is fascinating, obviously. It's also really damaging to the pasta industry. This, according to the National Pasta Association, which, as we all know, is like the leading trade org for the American pasta business. But what happened here is the FDA has these really rigid standards for all kinds of food. It's meant to ensure safety and uniformity and ingredients and production processes. The problem is some of these rules were set in 1939, including the PASTA standards, which are very outdated and there's actually really limiting innovation in the PASTA space. So it's a bit of a thing here where, like, if you want to be in compliance with federal guidelines, which if you're running a PASTA manufacturing plant, you probably do. It changes the way you approach your PASTA making process, your marketing copy, all these other not insignificant barriers. And these standards, they've been submitted to the FDA to change them. We're still waiting. They were submitted back in like March or a little earlier, back when we first wrote about this. Still no ruling. Hmm. Wow. I can also tell you why I think it's important, if you'd like. Yeah. I mean, I'm just baffled at this, but yes, okay. please do. Go ahead. I know. Part of me just loved this weird little food trivia gem, but I also think it's kind of the story about our world's accelerated pace of innovation, which we looked at AI through this lens a lot this year. But it is universal where these industries are shifting fast and the rules and the regulations and just like the general accepted approach to the way things are done, they aren't always shifting quite as fast as the industries are. So it stuck with me throughout the year. I'm still waiting for this ruling. There's no resolution on pasta. Cantuna did just get an update though. Wow. Yeah, the FDA submitted a revision of their standards for Cantuna. I think it allows flavorings and spices as optional ingredients now. So if you want to get your seatbelts on, We're going to see some big tuna innovation in 2024. Great. First big tuna mention on the podcast.
2: Yeah. And that's a great perspective on it. I feel like the government gets a lot of crap for kind of like the slow pace of regulation with tech. But if we can't even get more than three pasta shapes added to the official pasta roster, like what that means for technology kind of scares me with the pace of AI and all of these other crazy technologies that we have rampantly growing. It's a pretty wild thing to look at.
1: I told you pasta shapes would be important. It took us a while, but we got there. (laughs) Leave it to you to like tie pasta shapes back
0: to AI and our government. (laughs) Great story, Ben. Thank you very much for sharing. Juliet. I would love to hear what your story is all about and if it also involves pasta and or tuna.
3: It doesn't. There are a lot of food stories that I found really interesting this year. I'm going to stay away from them, though, because Ben just did a fantastic pasta-shaped story and talk about a sweaty robot. Let's see. When did we cover this one? In June, peak sweaty time. There's a robot named Andy. It's technically called a thermal mannequin, mannequin spelled M-A-N-I-K-I-N, and it has 35 independently controlled surface areas that contain pores that sweat. And the reason this robot even exists is because we're studying the impact of extreme heat in Arizona which, as we all know, is going to get even more extreme in the future, thanks to climate change, which, you know, that was a thread that we talked a lot about during the year. The doomsday clock got set to 90 seconds to midnight. (laughs) Things are pretty dire and pretty hot. And um, it's kind of just been this foreboding sense of doom and dread this entire year as we think about the planet. And the most fun thing that happened was the sweaty robot, in my opinion.
0: Wow. That is a very fun story. I do love a sweaty robot. Thank you very much for sharing, Juliet. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Mark, what do you got for us today?
4: I have one that's also perhaps niche, but maybe not unimportant, I hope. It starts with an event that actually did get a lot of coverage. The Formula One race in Las Vegas, it was in November. And there was a lot of hype about how this was about how Formula One had arrived. It's been this extremely popular sport because of Netflix. The tech community has been big fans of it. Wealthy people love to go to the races, et cetera. And I think that we've overlooked that, Formula One is not very popular, actually. And I think it's time that this narrative gets remembered a little bit more. I want to bring up a couple of things from that race. So there was 1.1 million people are the average viewership for Formula One races this year. The Las Vegas race was a little bit higher at 1.3 million. So let's compare that to other sports and things that no one ever seems to talk about college softball, the championship had 2.3 million viewers. The D2 men's basketball championship this year had 900,000 viewers. So almost as many as that Las Vegas Formula One race. Why am I talking about this? Because there's become such a thing where I think that we tend to see a lot of stories we kind of take for granted because there's some audience that might really like it. But I think it just kind of lends itself to this whole vibes thing going on, where it's just assumed that Formula One is a big deal. And it's the same way for a lot of stories that have happened. And I don't know why. It just stands out to me as like, let's remember Formula One and a lot of places. Let's just look and see what has actually happened.
0: Do you think there's a reason that Formula One coverage has been peddled across media brands everywhere in the past few years? Is there like a specific thing you can pinpoint something that happened that made everybody go Formula One stir crazy this year?
4: Well, I mean, there was the Drive to Survive, which premiered a couple years ago. And so that did bring a new audience. But again, 2019, the average viewers per year for Formula One were around 670,000 per race. Again, it's gone up to 1.1 million. But in that time, the contract went from around $5 million a year to televise it for ESPN to between $75 million and $90 million per year was the new contract. Wow. Based on an extra 400,000 viewers. So it's a long way of just saying like, don't always trust the vibes, I I guess.
2: (laughs) No, I have a theory on it too, Mark. Everybody talks about how content is getting completely nichified and like everybody has their own niches. And I think a big reason for Formula One seeming so popular is because a lot of the people in media are the ones that are watching it and they just Mm -hmm. kind of like bring their own narratives to the table and kind of talk about the things that they're interested in and almost set it as like a topic that everybody else should be caring about. I have not bought in. I do not care about Formula One or any auto racing at all.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it reminds me of when they talk about the coastal bubble or, you know, like the media elite bubble or something where... I think I saw a statistic that said the most popular restaurant in America is something like Applebee's and the most popular show is something like Modern Family or something that I'd never watched in my life. But here in LA, you know, I would think the most popular restaurant is, I don't know, whatever's in your neighborhood and everyone in my circle is watching, I don't know, it seems like they're all watching Succession or something or the new Mike Flanagan or, or whatever. But that's just not the case. But when you log into Twitter, you would think it is the case because that's where all the coastal elites and media people are just kind of blithering <laughs> into the ether, which is something I do too, obviously. You're right, exactly. And then you realize, you know what? The average person is at Applebee's and going home and watching Bones.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Bones. NCIS. I looked up for this to see, well, should I compare this to Formula One, which which is not quite a fair comparison, but 9.86 million viewers is what it averages, which is basically number two behind primetime football. Uh, If I can put a cap on this,
1: just hours ago, a headline that one of the Formula One teams just finalized a like $218 million investment. That's for 24% ownership stake in their one team. That's like the sixth place team too. Crazy. So it's like, what are we doing here? Wow.
0: Formula One fever. We have pasta shapes. We have a sweaty robot. <laughs> and Rob, what are you going to end us with today?
2: I'd say that I have one of the less weird stories. I don't really know how under the radar it is, but I do think it's super important for... The future of streaming. So, my big story that has kind of stuck with me all year is what happened with Suits in the middle of the year. And for those that don't remember or don't really know what happened, Suits is an old USA network show that ran for about eight years. I think it was like 2011 to 2019. And by all counts, I don't think anybody was ever like raving and ranting about how great Suits was. It never got like unbelievable reviews or anything like that. It was kind of a middle of the road success story. And Earlier this year, I guess, in a 12-week stretch between June and July, Suits broke the record for the most streamed acquisition show or licensed show on Netflix. And it was also the most watched title across film, original TV, and streaming, basically across everything during that time frame. So Netflix essentially took this show that has always just been kind of like an afterthought and turned it into like the most watched thing in the United States. Literally made it into this phenomenon to the point where they actually just like signed off on a suit spin-off, the cast and everybody behind the scenes is kind of getting this renewed interest because of what it ended up doing. And obviously USA and whoever licensed suits is benefiting from the additional exposure as well. And I think like the downstream implication of this, like everybody's been talking about the streaming wars forever, and I really think the war is over. Like I think this success story is going to push a lot of these studios to kind of take their foot out of the race when it comes to streaming and to just be a lot more comfortable with licensing their titles to Netflix and making money off of it that way. But yeah, I'd be curious to hear what the rest of the group has to say. I, I was fascinated by the blow up of suits and I'm sure Megan Markle had something to do with it, but
4: I honestly don't think that's the full story. I do think that that's a really astute observation because it might, as you were saying, not just sort of show that Netflix is winning the race and particularly coming after they kind of had their first bad year the year before this one. But I think other studios that were willing to just go all in on paying for their own content, we could go back to like 2013 to where they were licensing all of it to Netflix. And so that might end up being somewhat of a win also for them. But yeah, I don't know. It also just goes to show the precarity of streaming. I mean, yeah, Netflix is doing pretty good. But even when you consider its success this year, I I think most people would still just say like, they're still not completely sold on
1: whether that model is going to work. Yeah. And it's fascinating. I do think that what we're seeing is also really important. Disney even bent the knee, if you will, to Netflix. I think they're working on a deal right now where big shows that they have in their library like Lost and Grey's Anatomy are potentially going to Netflix soon. All these older series that just feel like Disney was posturing for so long. I mean, they just spent a lot of money buying out the rest of Hulu. And yet here we are, they're just kind of like folding and saying, okay, Netflix, you win, essentially. Yeah. And it's
0: fascinating when you think about other shows that Netflix has done this for, like they did it for You, which actually originally aired on Lifetime, weirdly enough, and nobody really watched it. And it was kind of an afterthought. And then they brought it to Netflix, blew it up on the homepage, and now Mm -hmm. it's the next big title that everybody waits for every year. That and something like Cobra Kai, which started on YouTube, and they took that and they flipped that around and put that on the homepage. All you got to do is homepage it and then boom, (laughs) Netflix wins. It's a classic.
2: That's crazy. I did not know that about you. I thought you was a Netflix original. that is crazy. That was a lifetime series.
0: There's so many Netflix originals, but there's also so many Netflix originals. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that'll do it for us today. Thanks everybody for tuning in to the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Robert Hartwig, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed, go get yourself signed up at thehustle.co slash email. And we'll see you tomorrow.